Welcome to the Grace Monroe Podcast. We are a community of Jesus followers located in Monroe, Georgia, that exists to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. For more information about our church, visit graceformonroe.com. But in the meantime, we hope you enjoy this week's message. together. You're going to want your Bibles this morning. Uh, You can go on and open up to John chapter 1. John chapter 1 is where we're going to start, but we're going to make a little bit of a journey through the Bible today. Sorry, I can't figure out where I want my table. Um, Looking at uh, Peter's experience with Jesus. And my prayer and my hope and what God was uh, getting me excited about this morning was is that we would find our story in Peter's story, that you would find your story in Peter's story. So we've been going through in this exciting unknown season that we're in of kind of this transition into a new season of ministry, of mission, obviously a new property, a new space, and continuing to to grow into that, but really it's not about, it's never been about the buildings, but it's about what God wants to do in us and utilize these buildings to empower out in our city, in our community, and hopefully around the world. And and so we felt like for this season, it was, it was, God was reminding us of who we are, who we're meant to be, both corporately as Grace Monroe. Who is Grace Monroe? When God imagined this body of believers, when we were a baby getting planted out of Grace Snellville, when when God was imagining his bride to come 2,000 years later from when Jesus hung on a cross and rose again, who was he imagining this group of families would be at this time in this place? Now, you realize that. Like, God has held You and I together, precious in his hand. And it's almost like I can imagine God, and I know he's doing this in millions upon millions of places all over the world. But for us right now, imagine this. For 2,000 years, God was holding this gem. Not gem. I just realized the uh, parallel there. Gem, G-E-M, this precious diamond called Grace Monroe. And he was saying, this one, this one. These are my people, and I'm going to do something with them. And so we feel like God has given us this mission, this calling of pursuing his heart for the restoration of all things. And in that, we find ourselves being restored. Of God building us into the kind of men and women that he pictured us to be when he knit you together in your mother's womb. So each week we've taken that, le- that acronym of RESTORE to begin to look at what are these different aspects of what it means to follow Jesus. And our hope is that these words would become alive whether you were six or whether you were 60. That you'd be able to say, ah, yeah, I get that. I could be a part of that. And so we looked at R, receptive, able to recognize and respond to God's voice in our life through his scriptures, through his spirit, through his people. That God is speaking. He's speaking to you personally. This morning, God has a word uniquely for you. The eternal word that is always speaking, both through his scriptures, his spirit, and his community. And then equipped. We recognize that our ability to follow God, to be able to discern 
what we're called to do and how to live in this world is to be, we need to be saturated in his scripture. People of the Bible, people of the word. And Timothy, as Paul writes, that all scripture being God-breathed is useful for instruction, for conviction, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete, mature, fully equipped for every good work. That you would be equipped, daily walking, saturating, rooting yourself in his word through his Bible. Now, I know many of you, and, and it's not too late, but have chosen to engage in this year's, uh, our, our Lenten challenge for 2021. And we said, we introduced it last week. I know uh, last year, if you're a part of Grace, that we did over Lent, starting with Ash Wednesday, which was this past Wednesday, 40 days leading up to Easter Sunday, uh, traditional, I mean, traditionally in the church around the world, a season of repentance, of fasting. Last year as a church, we felt led to a corporate fast, sunrise to sunset, to, to abstain from our appetites in order to redirect our passions towards God. And I know from some of your stories that that was not the easiest experience for you. And we didn't predict that halfway into that fast of us refocusing our hearts and our minds on God, all of a sudden our world would be hit by a global pandemic when we would need to refocus and reset our minds on a daily basis around God. It's almost like God was setting us up for something. And then the beginning of this year, the Daniel fast, many of you are part of to start our year 21 days. But we felt like for Lent this year, now maybe some of you have given something up for Lent, I don't know, the different traditions or in your family, whether you're fasting from food or maybe from Netflix or social media, you know, anything that helps us to kind of reorient our minds and hearts towards God and his purposes. But we felt like as a church, it wasn't about giving something up. We felt like what God was wanting us as a church was to press into something, to receive something. And what it felt like is, man, we need to be saturated in God's word. Amen? And so the 40-day challenge is simply this. And again, not too late to join in. We're only, what, four days into it. But is that uh, we realize if you read for the Bible for 15 to 20 minutes a day through Lent, you can read most of the New Testament. And, and so every day there's a text link that you can sign up for. In fact, you can do it right now if you want to, if you're not a part of that. Just dial uh, or text <laughs> dial. <laughs> Yeah, old school. Uh, text um, at Lent21 to the number 81010. At Lent, I don't, we had a slide. I don't know if we still have that. At Lent21 to 81010. And every morning you'll get a text prompt that, uh, that gives you the reading for the day. And literally, I mean, it, if you've done it, if you've been doing that with us this week, I mean, it really is. It's about 15 minutes. It may require you to actually, when I say it's about give it, getting something, receiving God's word. You may have to give something up. I know it's hard to imagine, but you, maybe 15 minutes of Netflix, I don't know, 15 minutes of browsing Instagram, 15 minutes of flipping back and forth between the crazies on Fox News and CNN. Can we give that up? And what will our life be better for 40 days from now? I think this, maybe, right? So I just encourage you to be a part of that. Also, just so you know, we did choose the message. If you click the link that comes in that daily text, you can use what I mean. You can use your own Bibles, whatever you want to do. Uh, typically, I teach out of the ESV, um, though my 
personal Bibles, NIV. I mean, all those translations are great, but the message is just a really personal way of reading the Bible. Uh, and, and I just want to tell you kind of my, why I'm excited. I'm loving it. I'm loving reading, reading Eugene Peterson's translation, uh, going from John to Revelation, what we'll be doing over 40 days. But the reason I love it is because when Eugene Peterson set out, or when he started what became the message, he wasn't setting out to write a Bible translation for the masses. He was pastoring a church about this size in inner city Baltimore. And he realized, he's like, my people need the Bible. But for many of them, the Bible is this crazy, weird, hard to understand book. And so he was like, you know what, I'm going to just start, and he was, I think he was teaching through Galatians, and he was like, I'm going to just start, I'm going to start reading the Bible. And the dude is like saturated in the ancient Hebrew and Greek. I mean, he knows the languages and the Bible. And he's like, I'm going to start translating it into everyday Baltimorean for my people. And that was Galatians. And he started, and he, every week he would open up, I mean, he would, he would read Galatians in everyday Baltimorean blue-collar language. Went on to the next book and the next book. A few years later, somebody came to him and said, you know, you really ought to write this down. And what he wrote down ended up becoming what we know of as the message. I love that. It's so personal, so rich. It's about pastoring a people into the word of God. And that's our hope for you and for me over the next 40 days leading up to Easter. So will you engage in that with us? And so today we come to S, and we realize as we're learning to hear from God, and as we're rooting ourselves in his word, in John 10, Jesus says that my sheep know my voice. And when the shepherd speaks, Jesus says he does two things. He calls his sheep by name, he reveals identity, and he leads them forth. He leads them into their destiny, their calling in the kingdom. And so as we are receptive and becoming equipped, we're able to then find ourselves secure, confident in our identity, our passions, our gifts, and our calling in Christ. Say that with me, secure. Say it again. Who doesn't want to build a life of confidence on the word of God and who he says you are. I mean, we just went through the most insecure year in memorable history. We need to hear from God, to stand in security no matter what happens in the world around us. So how confident are you? I mean, can you articulate, can you name your unique, God-given identity? The gifts and the passions that he's put inside of you. I mean, maybe you have a hint of it. Maybe some of you are walking in confidence in that. But I know a lot of it because I'm your pastor. I have these conversations. I know for most of us, most of our lives are spent just trying to figure it out. And stumbling from one thing to the next and just trying, like, who am I? What am I made to do? But you're not alone. In fact, we see this journey in Peter, one of Jesus' closest disciples in his life. I love the beginning of, of Peter's interaction with Jesus. So open up there to John chapter 1. I'm 
these guys have been hanging out with a guy named John the Baptist. And John the Baptist is talking about like, I'm not the one you're waiting for. I am just a messenger pointing to the one that's to come. Who I'm not even fit to untie his shoes. And then Jesus shows up on the shores of next to the Jordan River. And John says, there, there he is the Lamb of God who's come to take away the sin of the world. And so a handful of the guys that have been following John then begin to go and follow after Jesus. And, and one of those guys is a guy named Andrew. Andrew has this conversation with Jesus where Jesus cuts right to the core of Andrew's heart, asking him this amazing question, the same question I think Jesus is asking all of us. What do you want? What do you want? I mean, at the core of your being, what do you want? And this invitation, come and see. And so Andrew runs and finds his brother, a guy named Simon, and, and says to Simon, we found him. We found the one we've been waiting for, the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And then Jesus looked at this young man, Simon, you can imagine just looking him in the eye and says, you are Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which is the Aramaic, which translated in Greek is Peter, which means the rock. Jesus looked at this young man, this young fisher apprentice working for his father, trying to make life work to the best of his ability in this crazy chaotic time there in Palestine. And Jesus calls him out right there. This is who you actually are. This is who you're going to find out who you're made to be. And from that declaration of identity, Jesus gives a hint of his calling, his destiny, and he says, Follow me. Follow me. So a few years later, I mean, and uh, Peter does. He, he gives up everything, Simon there, and, and he begins to follow after Jesus, watching him and, and trying to imitate his life and, and learn from him. And, and so uh, a few years later, Jesus is having a conversation with these guys, the disciples that have been following him. And if you want to kind of go forward in your Bible to Matthew 16, flip there, Matthew 16, verse 13, Jesus is asking this question, who do people say the Son of Man is? And he's talking about himself. Who do people say that I am? And they kind of throw out all these answers. Some people say you're this. Some people say that you're this, that you're John the Baptist or Elijah. Maybe you're Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And Jesus, again, he's so good with his questions. It begins, what do you want? And then the next most important question that he asks, again, the same question he's asking every one of us in this room. Yeah, I know that's what they call me. But who do you say I am? That's the most important question every human being on the planet is being asked. Who do you say Jesus is? And then it's Peter the one that would be called the rock that steps up and he goes, you are the Christ, the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus replies back to him, blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah. 
your birth name, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. You can just imagine Jesus glowing. You get it. You see me for who I am. And because you know who I am now, Peter or Simon, I can tell you who you are. I tell you, you are Peter. And on this rock, Peter, meaning rock, you are the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not overcome it. And I will give you the keys to the kingdom. You are Peter, the rock. But what's amazing about this is that Peter's greatest stumblings and failings are yet to come. Jesus knows who Peter was made to be. In fact, when when Jesus calls Simon Peter, he's not giving him a new name. He's actually revealing his true name because that is, is who God, when God knit this little boy called Simon together in his mother's womb, the wife of John, and he imagined this little boy's life and who he was gonna be or who he could be if he discovered who Jesus was and walked in the ways of his kingdom. And he saw from the beginning this little boy who would be impulsive and insecure and occasionally self-destructive and a little bit stupid sometimes. This little boy, I made him to be the rock. That's his identity. And I am calling him to be the groundwork upon which I will build my church. That is his destiny. And that has been true from the moment Peter was born, and it is still true even just a few verses later. In chapter 16, a few days later, a different conversation happening. Peter's feeling pretty good about himself. He got the first question right. Jesus' star student Jesus is telling them that he's going to have to go to Jerusalem. He's going to have to suffer. In fact, he's going to be killed. And he's, but on the third day, he's going to be raised to life. They didn't quite get that yet at this point. But Peter, he really doesn't get it. He grabs Jesus by the, side, by the arm. He takes him to the side of the room. And he's like, hey, listen, uh-uh. All this tortured, killed stuff, I don't think so. Not on my watch. You know why? Because I'm Peter, the rock. They got to come through me before they get to you, Jesus. And Jesus turns and says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. Woo! When Jesus calls you Satan, you probably messed up somewhere. I mean, and listen, the rock becomes a stumbling stone because he's not following, his mind is not set on the things of God, but on the things of man. It's still true. He's still the rock. But this rock, not in the hands of God, isn't a rock upon which God wants to build his church, but instead is a rock that is causing those to stumble. And all of us, there are glimpses of who God has uniquely made you to be. But when we're not walking with God, when we're not walking, being shaped and formed by him with our mindset on him, remembering who he is, that identity gets expressed in a whole lot of messed up, destructive ways. The one that was meant to be God's evangelist, sharing the good news, becomes the slimy salesman that manipulates people into buying some product. The one that was meant to be God's encourager begins to use his voice to move people 
in ways apart from God, the one that was meant to be God's leader. I met a kid in high school. He was a sophomore in high school named Matt Reynolds, and Matt Reynolds was a leader. Man, anyone would do whatever Matt Reynolds said to do. Unfortunately, at the time, that was smoke drugs and go to parties. But I remember seeing that kid and thinking, either this one ends up in prison or he's going to change the world. I thank the Lord God got a hold of Matt Reynolds' life, and he chose the second route. But both those things were true in that little boy, that sophomore in high school. The same was true of Moses, right? Moses, God's deliverer, that was going to lead the people out of slavery into the promised land. Immature Moses, still the deliverer, what does he do? He beats an Egyptian to death in the desert and flees for his life. Joseph, God's dreamer. Immature Joseph, what does he do? Shows off to his brothers so much that they bury him in a well and leave him for dead. But meant to reveal and carry the plans and the purposes of the king. The same is true for you. God calls you by name. He wants you to know who you are, but until we know who he is, we clumsily make our way through life. So Peter, he doesn't quite get it yet. And even here, he's still the rock, but his greatest failure is yet to come. Fast forward a few more pages. We get to Matthew chapter 26. In Matthew chapter 26, Jesus has been arrested. He's been beaten. He's been unfairly tried. He's in the house of the Jewish leaders that have wanted to kill Jesus all along. Peter's followed behind him. And now he's sitting in the courtyard outside of that house and there's a fire there. And he's sitting around that fire trying to figure out what's about to happen to Jesus. The one that he believes is supposed to change the world. The one that he believes is supposed to save the people from their sins. The one that he believes is supposed to reveal the kingdom of God for all the nations. And here he is bound like a common criminal, beaten like an ordinary nobody, being led to his death. This is not the way the story was supposed to go. And so Peter, sta- sitting outside, he's still the rock. They sit around this fire trying to figure out, trying to listen in, trying to get bits of gossip and news, figuring out what's going on with Jesus in the house. And this little girl comes walking up to him, spots him and recognizes him and goes, wait a second. You were with Jesus in Galilee. But Peter, the rock, the one upon which the church is meant to build, trembles before a little servant girl and says, I don't know him. I don't know what you're talking about, he said. So he left that fire and he went and stood by the gateway. Still, maybe in the shadows now, maybe they won't see his face. And another little girl comes by. And she says to the people that are standing there, wait, that one, that guy right there, he, he was with Jesus of Nazareth. He denies it again, cussing with an oath. I, I, I don't know the man. And after a little while, those standing there, you know, they're probably like, I don't know, does he? I don't know. I mean, they finally walk up to Peter and said, surely, come on, you're one of them. Your accent gives you away. 
And he began to call down curses on himself and swore to them, I don't know the man. The amazing thing in this moment is that Jesus, I mean, Peter doesn't just claim to not know who Jesus is. In that moment, he's forgotten who he is. And the rock, who was a stumbling block, is now shaky sand. And rooster crows, and Peter remembers what Jesus has said. And he wept bitterly. The shame and the regret and the hurt. This is not what was supposed to happen. This is not who I was supposed to be. And maybe you found yourself in that place. Maybe that's where you are this morning. I look at my life and this is not how the story was supposed to go. And God gave me a glimpse. And maybe for some of you, whether months ago or years ago, God spoke a word to you. He began to reveal some things to you. He placed some hopes and some dreams in your heart. He called you by name, not necessarily the name on your birth certificate, but the name that he calls you, who he sees you to be. But somewhere along the way, things didn't go the way that you thought they were. They crumbled and they crashed and you struggled and you gave up and you failed at times and you lost yourself along the way. And like Peter, your soul weeps. Because not only have you forgotten who he is, you've forgotten who you are. What I love about Jesus and I'll tell you right now, my favorite story in the entire Bible. Some of you have gotten to stand with me by the seashore where that sto- this story happened in Galilee. John chapter 21. Peter doesn't know what to do with himself. So he just goes back to what he knows. And he tells his friends, I'm going fishing. (laughs) The rock has now just gone back to being a fisherman. Well, this whole plan did not pan out. His friends say, we're coming with you, buddy. There are times, whether we like it or not, that we need our friends around us, amen? So they go with Peter, they get in that boat, and they fish all night, and they don't catch anything, which I think is a grace of God. He didn't just fail in his call, his heavenly calling. Now he can't even succeed in his earthly calling. Can you imagine Peter at the end of that night? I'm screwing everything up. I can't even fish anymore. Dawn starts rising. The light comes over that water, and there's a man standing on the seashore. And as they get closer, it's actually his best friend, John, that recognizes that man for who he is. That man calls out to them and says, hey, listen, throw your net on the other side of the boat. I don't know if Peter begins to remember the story because this same thing had happened three years before, but all right, he throws it down the other side of the boat and sure enough, massive haul of fish. In that moment though, I guess Peter still so forlorn, still so rejected, still so stuck in his own head. He doesn't recognize what's happening, but John does. John elbows Peter and says, it's the Lord. And Peter immediately, I mean, he rips off his clothes and he dives into the water. 
because that's the one that his heart has craved and longed for, the one that called him by name and the one that promised to lead him forward and that Jesus that he saw beaten and killed is now alive and still shows up for him, never gave up on him, still calls him, and he does the same for you. He does the same for me. He keeps showing up. He never gives up. He still calls you by name because he knows that thing that he called you before you were a speck in your mother's, in your father's eye. It's still true. It's still you. And he is still true. And he has never changed. He has never given up on you. He has never forgotten you for one moment. And he keeps showing up on the seashores of our lives and our brokenness and our failures and our shame and our pain and our grief and our guilt. And there on the seashore, there's a fire going. Peter goes and he hauls in the fish. And I love how descriptive John is when he tells the story, because it's not just any kind of fire. It says it's a charcoal fire. And there's only one other place that that word char for charcoal fire is used in the entire Bible. And it's the fire that Peter was sitting beside when he rejected who Jesus was. And you know how smells trigger memories? Chocolate chip cookies could take you back to your grandmother's house. The hint of spring can remind you of playing in the backyard as a six-year-old. Peter smelled that charcoal, and you know what he was reminded of? His biggest failure. But who was sitting by that fire? Jesus, his Savior. And Jesus, after they eat breakfast, takes them for a walk down the shore and asks Peter a question. Simon, son of John, your old name, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. Peter, do you love me? Jesus, you know I love you. And feed my sheep. Live into who I made you to be. This is the kind of rock I'm calling you, Peter. Not one that's gonna defend me against an army. Not one that's gonna beat people into submission. The kind of rock I'm calling you is to be the kind of rock that can stand firm in a shaky and scared world and shepherd my people. The helpless and the wandering and the lost, and that's the kind of man that I'm gonna build my church on. Jesus ascends to heaven a few days later. What we celebrate as Pentecost, the Spirit descends on God's people. No longer Jesus in bodily form next to them, but now the Spirit of Jesus distributed and in them. And Jesus, and so the Spirit jumps on God's people, fills God's, the disciples. They go rushing out into the street. And who is the one that raises his voice over a threatening, confused crowd? Peter. 
who finally stands up as the rock. And then we'll come to the end of Peter's story with this. Towards the end of his life, Peter, Pastor Peter at this point, still the rock, still the shepherd, finding his identity in the identity of Jesus, will write a letter to his church. We have that letter. It's aptly named 1 Peter. And if you want to flip to 1 Peter chapter 2, Peter, Pastor Peter reminds his people who are trying to figure out for themselves in the same way he had to figure out for himself what it looks like to follow Jesus, to be faithful, to stay true. And he writes, therefore, rid yourself of all malice and all deceit, any hypocrisy, don't wear those fake masks, any envy, you don't need what anyone else has, or slander, tearing each other apart. But instead, like newborn babies, crave pure spiritual milk so that by it you may grow up in your salvation now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And Peter, the rock, continues. And as you come to him, the living stone, rejected by men but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For in scriptures it says, see, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. So who is the true foundation the rock that the church is going to be built on? Jesus. And who are we? We're the rocks that Jesus is building with. And who is reminding the church of who they are? Peter, the rock. And why can he say this? Because he lived it. He's not just writing words from a book that he read. He is writing book words from a life that he lived. And so Peter is able to say, I know what it's like to fail and to struggle and to be immature. And I know what it's like when the one comes after me and there is no shame. And I know what it's, I can tell you that you are chosen and you are precious. Why? Because I know that I am chosen and I am precious. And I am the rock that Jesus called. And I can call you rocks. I can give you what I have because we can't give what we haven't received. So let's bring it forward to 2021 in Walton County, Georgia. Jesus calls you by name. And we figure out who we are when we figure out who he is. And as we begin to discover who he has uniquely made us to be, we, begin to, we are able then to walk into 
what he has called us to do. Who are you? When God knit you together in your mother's womb, what name did he call you? It's the most important, the most true thing about you. It's not who you think you are. It's who God says you are. And all of us, our true identities are simply reflections of his. From the beginning of time, humanity created in the image of God. Any name that he calls you was his name first. He could call, Jesus could call Peter the rock. Why? Because Jesus was the rock. God could call Moses the deliverer. Why? Because God is the deliverer. Jesus could call Gideon the mighty warrior. Why? Because God is the mighty warrior. We are all simply reflections of who he already is. And what this world needs, what Walton County, what Monroe needs, is for a bunch of men and women to figure that out and begin to walk in confidence in that truth. Romans 8, Paul writes that those who are led by the Spirit of God are the sons, the daughters of God. And then he continues that all of creation is groaning in anticipation for the sons of God to be revealed. Monroe is desperately crying out that you and I and the person sitting next to you would discover and step out in to the son or the daughter that he made you to be. And there's a whole lot of us that are living under the condemnation, the guilt, the weight of names that God never called us. In your seat there, you'll find a name tag. And Zach, y'all can come on up as we continue on in worship. Hello, my name is. And on this, I don't, like, unlike Kyle, I don't want you to write. No one else is going to see this, by the way. This is between you and the Lord. I don't want you to write the name that's on your birth certificate. On this name tag, what I want you to write are the names that you've called yourself or that the world has called you. Not the name that God calls you, but the names that you've grown up under or grown into. the identities that you've taken on that are not from God. And as we worship, as an act of confession and repentance, <clears throat> we're going to take communion in just a second. In just a minute. And as you take communion, and as we begin to acknowledge the lies and the false names and the not God-given identities that we've taken on. May we just write those on this little paper name tag. I'm going to invite you as we worship and go stick this on the cross. You can tear it up. You can take it home and burn it. There's a paper shredder on the way out the door and you can just slide it right into there. There's a whole lot of names <clears throat> that you've taken on. 
idiot, alone, worthless, forgotten, abandoned, not good enough, too short, too tall, too smart, too dumb, lost, screw up. first step to being able to receive the name that God calls you is to reject and let go of the names that you've called yourself or that you've taken on as true because somebody else called you that. A few years ago, our daughter, she was probably like five years old, and we caught her referring to herself by some things that we know were not true about herself. Maybe you've caught your kids using that same kind of thing. I don't actually remember what she said. I'm an idiot, I'm dumb, something, I don't know. Like, no, 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 no. That is not who you are. Maybe it's not your kids that you catch saying that. Maybe you need to catch yourself looking in the bathroom mirror and saying those things. But we prayed with her. That's why I love that we have kids in the room for this. It's one of the most powerful things we can do for our kids. One of the most precious gifts we can give our kids. And we just say, it's not true. That's not who you are. And so we just prayed there with a little five-year-old. And we just asked God, God, when you look at Eden, who is she to you? What name do you call her? And then that little child mind, immediately she looked up with tears in her eyes and she said, with a big smile on her face, I'm his princess of peace. We never called her that. That's not on a birth certificate anywhere. But that is more true about her than Catherine Eden Krasik is because that's what God calls her. And that is true for you. I don't know what name that is, but God does. And so I'm just gonna pray. And we're gonna sing another song. And my hope for this morning isn't that we just have a nice church service together, but that God would give you a gift, a glimpse, a deepening, who you are to him. So just close your eyes and let's just ask the Lord to show up. I mean, he's already here. So Lord Jesus, we recognize that you are as real and as present in this room as we are, living and active. And you are the one, good shepherd, that said you would call us by name. That in the heavenlies, you have a white stone that you've written our name on, a new name that only you can give us. So Lord, I just pray for each one here, your sons and your daughters, precious to you. God, would you just call to mind right now any false name, any lie that we've been living under? 
any name we've called ourselves or we've begun to believe is true because somebody else called us that. Will you just bring that to mind, God? I encourage you, whatever's coming to mind, just write it down on that silly name tag. And then between you and God, just confess it to him. I mean, he already knows, but just be honest with him. I mean, something like this, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I confess that I have believed that I am fill in the blank. I confess that I've received this name of whatever it is. say that when we confess the ways that we fall short, that you are faithful, just, cleansing us from all unrighteousness. So in the space of this confession, Lord, where we ask you that question, what name do you call us? Who are we to you? When you look at our lives, Lord, when you look at us, our hearts, who did you make us to be, Jesus? And again, in the same way, just confess it. It means declare what's true. I'm like this, in the name of the Lord Jesus, I receive your identity. And we're going to do something different with that name. Something that's a little bit more permanent than this little name tag. But right now, I encourage you just to stand worship God in this space together. Thanks for listening. Once again, our mission at Grace Monroe is to pursue God's heart for the restoration of all things. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, go to graceformonroe.com connect. Also, if you felt blessed by our ministry and want to partner with us financially, everything you need to know about giving is online at graceformonroe.com give. We hope you have a wonderful week. Be blessed.